Hi everyone, I'm Brent Love, and I'm so excited to welcome you to a brand new season of HopeWorks, a podcast by Hope Surrogacy. Last season on HopeWorks, we talked with surrogates, Amanda, Lauren, Crystal, Chelsea, Taylor, Lori, and Giovanna. Each of these amazing women shared their own stories of becoming surrogates. For this season of HopeWorks, we've asked intended parents to share their side of the story. In every episode of this season, we'll be talking with parents who turn to surrogacy to build their families. They'll be sharing the road that brought them to surrogacy, what it was like to meet the surrogate who would carry their baby, and what it was like to finally welcome their baby into the world. Today, we're talking with Annie and Eric. I met Annie and Eric at their home in Minnesota. They're the proud parents of a beautiful daughter, and when we talked, they were pregnant again. Their surrogate joined them for a second time to carry a second baby for them, this time a boy. Annie and Eric bravely begin by sharing the reason they turned to surrogacy. Annie has lived much of her life with kidney disease, and Annie is the recipient of a donor kidney. Their journey is full of so much joy, and also many moments of real pain. We definitely had a box of tissues on hand for this conversation, but we started it off by laughing. When I got to Annie and Eric's house, I pet the dog, shook their hands, and got set up right away in the living room. I hit the record button and took a long pause, which I thought would get us settled for the conversation. But the awkwardness of sitting across from strangers in their living room just started making us laugh at each other, which honestly was a great way to start the conversation. (laughs) okay hi (laughs) Um, welcome to the hope works podcast you guys thank you for having us yeah um thanks for having me to your home that's really beautiful thank you um uh driving up here i was like oh no this is like a place where you raise kids there's like yards and i'm sure there are kids around oh yeah um did you move into this neighborhood because of the kid thing yeah. yeah. School district. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Making yep. those decisions right away. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's go back in time a little bit. Um, for each of you, when did you know that you wanted to be a parent? I always knew that I wanted to be a mom. And I think a lot of that comes from my relationship with my own mom and the memories that I have with her and, and that that always just seemed like part of the future. Um, and I always envisioned Eric and I being parents together. Yeah. And for me, it was probably when we got married because, yeah. you know, I was single actually until when we got married, I think I was 30 when we got married. So I had kind of gotten comfortable with the idea, well, this could be how it is, you know, it could just be a solo thing. Yeah. Um, but as soon as I was married, it was just kind of like, okay. It, it just seemed like natural that, from there, we were going to have a family and at least one, maybe a couple of kids. You know, both of us are, we come from two children, families where the the boy is the older and then, and then the daughter, the sister is younger. Um, so I think, I think family, family is what brought us together. That was a commonality uh, was that that's important. Yeah. And for, for me, it was, it was kind of this just desire to kind of have a little bit of a higher purpose in life, hmm. you know, to have a little more focus and have just 
something else that, you know, you could kind of leave behind that was good. Um, so you get married and then how soon after you got married were you thinking, okay, let's do this. Let's like, let's try to do this. So pretty soon after it kind of, um, it had been on the table and the reality for what, for us was that I had, I had some issues with my kidneys and that was a known factor. Um, and the complicating factor for us was within that first year of marriage, um, my kidneys failed completely. And, um, you know, we celebrated our, our first anniversary in the hospital and shortly thereafter I had a kidney transplant and the transplant itself really took pregnancy just completely off the table for me. Um, and in a way I think that kind of black and white, um, it, it was, it was almost a blessing that that was like, this ca- this won't be able to happen for me. Um, and I'm also thankful that I didn't know that any earlier than, you know, within that first year of marriage. Yeah, there was that, I mean, there was a short window of time because your kidney, your kidney disease kind of came on again and we didn't really know sort of the pace or what was going to happen. And so there was, it seems so naive now looking back with perfect hindsight, but there was this short window where you know, we were, we just thought, okay, we'll, we'll manage this. And it was kind of like, we were going to try and have a family sort of the traditional way, but you know, just with, with where we ended up just a couple of weeks later, I feel like, you know, in terms of just the worsening of your condition and the treatment then that you had to go through, yeah. um, you know, it was, it was just a pretty short lived attempt before effectively we had just a different reality in front of us. Yeah. The list of options was kind of whittled down for us. Yeah. Can I ask questions about the kidney disease? Yeah. Um, How does that happen, first of all? And then you have a transplant. Like, how do you get into that situation? What happened? Yeah, um, I'd had, I was diagnosed um, when I was 17. I was a a senior in high school. And for me, it was a fluke. Um, our best guess is that it was my body's autoimmune reaction to a vaccine that I received. And the initial treatment when I was 17 kind of worked in that it, it, it stopped kind of the progression of, of the damage to my kidneys. Um, but I, it left me kind of effectively in chronic kidney disease and, there are five stages to kidney disease. I was at stage three and, and then I, you know, I was told, you know, you're probably going to progress to the end stage renal disease, meaning that you would either be on dialysis or need a transplant. Um, but for 10 years, I just managed it with daily medication, um, and, and didn't pay a lot of attention to it. Um, you know, I was tired a lot and I, I took naps. I was fatigued. Um, and then, and then it kind of just reared its head again, 10 years later when I was 27. So when you guys were dating, I mean, it's something that I'm sure that you brought up and just talking about who you are and mm-hmm. what your life is like. Um, it didn't occur to you while you were dating and talking about family that this is going to have an impact on your 
on the children that you would have? No, no, no. And in fact, <clears throat> it was her nephrologist even who was a part of the conversation when, um, when she had the relapse or the, the recurrence, um, who still, I guess, you know, just thinking back to the conversation, you kept it on the table that she could have potentially a natural pregnancy and it could all work. But, um, I don't even know if it was realistic at that time. I, I think it was bad advice to be honest. How long from the time you were married until, okay, now we're like in the trenches with the, the kidney disease. It was, we were married in June and my kidney biopsy was April. Um, so what's that? Not even a year. Yeah. You know what it was is I was, I was at a a doctor with, or I was at a, an appointment with a nephrologist and we had gone through all these different appointments and had seen the, the high risk, um, maternal fetal medicine doctor. And she said, well, I can't admit at Abbott. So go see this doctor who has admitting privileges at Abbott. So I was, I was with this doctor and his comment to me was, I wouldn't recommend that you get pregnant. I think you need to look into adoption or surrogacy if you have the means, or you need to get comfortable with, with not having children, but this is too risky. And then he looked at my feet and I had swelling in my feet and I knew that I had it. And, and he said to me, how long have you had that? I'm like, Oh, I don't know, maybe a month. And he's like, I'd like to do labs today. And I just refused to do labs. And I knew that that wasn't a good thing. And, and, and what it is, is it's a, it's a side effect of, of kidney disease. And, um, and then a month later they confirmed with a biopsy that my kidney, um, issues had kind of flared up again. It, it went quickly. And when things weren't working, you know, probably three months later, they, they talked to me about transplant. And it was kind of a traumatic series of hospitalizations and a, you know, rapid decline in her, in her kidney function. And so it just, it felt like there was just, maybe it's like this for everybody, but certainly from my perspective, there was just an added sense of urgency because it just felt like this is going to you know, end badly if we don't, if we don't find a solution and transplant, it was just kind of what we set our sights on. So, mm-hmm. so the, Transplant is a whole story in itself, I'm sure. It's a different podcast. (laughs) Um, At what point during that process did you come to terms with the fact that you wouldn't be able to carry a baby? Because I know that's the turning point for surrogacy. Right. Gosh, I don't know if I have a clear answer for you. I remember joking about it when I was in the hospital um, before the transplant ever happened and kind of while the kidney, the kidney issues first came up. Um, I know that after the transplant, we had looked into, or I should say I, I had gone online and, and searched something because I think at the time, Juliana Rancic and had, was on a, a show on E and because I had so much time off of work, I was doing nothing but sitting at home watching really bad reality TV. <laughs> um, so I, I had found them online and I, and I had a phone call with that agency and I remember just hanging up the phone and being like, I got to take a year off. Like I can't go to the doctor. 
I can't go talk to someone else about, I, I just need to take, take some space, um, and take a break. So for me, I think it was, it was back and forth. I, I also remember kind of taking a moment to think of, you know, could we just be the, the fun aunt and uncle figure, um, for our friends or for our family, um, and kind of trying that on for size and, and not feeling like that really sit well with me. So when then did you kind of decide like, okay, we're, we're doing this, we're going to pursue surrogacy. And how did you like, how, what was that conversation like for the two of you? And then like, how did you start? Well, we, um, we went back to, we went, we found a marriage counselor, um, after the transplant to deal with just the trauma of that and kind of to process that. And, and we had had surrogacy on our mind and we brought that to her and kind of asked her. And I I remember Eric feeling maybe a little bit more hesitant, um, than I was. And I think once she kind of gave her, her blessing, you know, and I remember her kind of saying, well, that's not my specialty, but I'll tell you that, you know, any, anyone who, who meets the need of a child will be bonded with that child. Um, then I felt like we, we decided, okay, we're going to do surrogacy and we'll revisit it at one year post-transplant. And so we put it kind of out of our minds and then just waited for that one year anniversary. Yeah. And I remember too, for me, part of it was the conversation with your physicians post-transplant too. We had a pretty frank conversation, which I know in part, in part it was a little frustrating because it's probably exactly how they're trained, but it's hard to get a really sometimes straight answer from a physician about, um, especially something that doesn't necessarily have, you know, doesn't have necessarily a consequence that requires their clinical judgment. They're actually, I think, asked to be in kind of a position where they're making a judgment call here. So mm-hmm. when we asked them about pregnancy and carrying, you know, you almost, you have to ask them the question, if it were your daughter, you know, would you, you know, would you support you trying to carry a baby or you know, what, what would be your judgment call? And basically at that point, and when we'd ask the question that way, universally, we heard from your team post transplant that it wasn't safe. So, so that was actually, that was the precursor to even having the conversation with, with our counselor where with that in the back of my mind, it, you know, that kind of gave me at least sort of solid footing then to know that, okay, so now we're down to just a smaller set of options here. So, so you have a conversation at some point point. you're like, okay, it's been a year. We're going to like look into this. Yeah. Um, what did you do? Like, who'd you call? What were the steps you took? I think I Google searched <laughs> surrogacy Minneapolis and we picked one. We found one that was local, kind of like a third ring suburb. Um, and we started there and we did an interview with them and, and it just didn't sit right. Hmm. Um, it felt like we were being sold something and how, how frank can I be? You can okay. be as frank as you want. <laughs> okay. Well, it became clear that it was started by a lawyer and that just didn't feel right to me. It felt like 
the motive wasn't coming from a good place. It was coming from, you know, a financial incentive. And, um, and I, I just didn't, I just didn't feel like that was the right thing. Um, and coming out of that meeting also, they, they just had a different process. So they were saying, we're going to, we're going to send you, um, applications kind of on a rolling basis and applications from women who want to be surrogates. Right. And, you know, we kind of looked at each other, like we don't like, it's kind of maybe fun or funny to like joke that like, it feels like dating, but the reality is like, this is a huge decision and it's, you know, and it's also just a very, it's a big financial commitment and that's, that's putting too much ownership on us, you know? Um, so I was like, well, that doesn't seem right because what are we looking for? We've never done this before. Um, and so then I started to think about it differently of maybe it's not important that the agency is 30 miles up the road. Maybe it's more about the fit and the people and the process. Um, so we started kind of reassessing that piece of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think you get the nail on the head in that it really did feel transactional and as opposed to be it being about us and about making a good connection with a potential carrier, it was just about kind of getting to done, you know, yeah, sure. yeah. the whole process can feel a little bit like a project can feel a little like a project plan anyway. Yeah. And, uh, are managing a project plan. And in that scenario, I think it would have been a really, really difficult experience. Yeah. Like you said, like, what do I know about, like, I can look, I can read this piece of paper that a nice woman wrote. Right. But what do I am looking for? What am I looking for in that piece of paper? That's going to be like, Oh, this will be the perfect match for us and our family. Yeah. And I, I don't think I could even answer that until we went through the whole process and our daughter was born. Totally. Um, so you called, you eventually called or sat down with Mary at some point. We did. Ultimately what we did is we decided to go to the, um, the reproductive endocrinologist, make sure that we had good enough embryos. Um, so we did that. And then really it was a referral from, from that doctor, um, who had worked with Mary and they recommended that we reach out to Mary. I mean, do you get into like why I use an agency? Cause I get that question a lot. I, I would love to hear actually yeah. why I use an agency. I, I think of it almost like having a wedding planner. You know, we talked about it a little bit earlier that I'm only going to do this once or twice. You know, we certainly entered the process thinking we're going to do this once. Um, I want the person who's done this a hundred times and, and that's Mary. Um, cause she has those relationships with the doctors that again, I'm only going to interact with them for a finite period of time. Um, I want her leverage. I want her expertise. Um, that, so that's kind of how I thought of it was. That's so good because yeah. it is like a wedding planner, like someone who's done it a hundred times and knows how to guide you through the whole process and knows who to call and knows who the lawyers are and, um, who the doctors are and what kind of questions you should ask when you go meet with right. the doctor and 
uh, and Leanne is on the other side working with surrogates doing like the exact same thing because surrogates yeah. are people, women who've been pregnant, but they've never been a surrogate before. Right. right. And so they get the same kind of attention and you kind of do have this like guide the whole time. Yeah. Um, that not just, not only does this great match, but also is just like on the phone with you right? right. when you're freaking out about whatever it is, yeah. like there, there's some things to freak out about sometimes. Right. <laughs> and for us, um, our carrier, our surrogates insurance had changed between the first pregnancy and the second. And I called Mary and said, Mary, can I, can I hire you to consult me on this policy? And she's like, I will absolutely not take a consultancy <laughs> fee, but I would love to talk to you about it. So it's just, it's this relationship that you build and she just invests so heavily in it and cares so deeply and just really wants a good outcome. Um, so sh- that's maybe like the team, mm-hmm. like ancillary team. So I want to know what it was like for you to meet your surrogate. It was like nervous energy and excitement. And I remember we were sitting in the room and then she walked in with her husband and we started talking and I just started crying and I didn't know what I was crying about, but I think it was just this and I'm going to cry now. It was just this like humility that, that she exists and that it's real and it's accessible to us and that it like, it's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of emotion. I mean, I, I don't know that I cried. I don't remember crying, but I had a lot of those same feelings. And yet part of it too, going in was we're both pretty introverted. You know, I'm pretty introverted. So, um, you know, there's a little bit of anxiety that way too. So that, that was part of the emotion that morning too, was just kind of, here we go, you know, we were just really fortunate too, and this speaks to the quality, I think, of the match. But a lot of that went away almost right away. You know, I mean, we yeah. that that first day we had we had lunch together, and it was just it went fast, and it kind of turned into a good fit quickly. Do you remember before the meeting what you were worried about? Like any, like the things that you were worried when in terms of just meeting this woman and her partner? I don't remember. I think I was operating off of what the, what was on that application. Um, and of course it's so much more than that. Um, but I, I really didn't. I mean, I think the challenge is that we were going to be first time parents. And so there was going to be a pregnancy regardless. And so we just didn't know what we were getting into anyway. And all you have to, cause, cause in the match meeting for people who don't know, like your match is created with a lot of factors. When you mentioned application, you guys fill out a bunch of information about what you're looking for and what you hope the experience will be like. And then she fills out, the same kind of, um, form answering a lot of the same questions for herself. Right. And that's so that when you talk about like, that's what you have to go on. It is, it's, it comes from the heart, but it isn't a lot to go on. Right. You're kind of looking for that 
that kind of that vibe or that energy that feels like a fit that we don't need to be. And I remember telling this to Mary and feeling a little sheepish about it, but I told her, you know, I'm not looking for a best friend and I don't want to feel like I, I need to be someone that, that I'm not. And I don't send a lot of emails with smiley faces or exclamation points. And I don't, I don't want to feel like I need to manage this relationship. Um, but at the same time, I fully respect anybody who's willing to do this. And I would never, um, I would never, I, I, I don't know. I just, it was such a great fit. And I think that that's something that is like uniquely Mary's gift of saying like, you two are going to be in your, each other's lives. And, and that was another thing that, that I didn't anticipate. Cause you know, you kind of write that in the application is what do you envision this relationship looking like in the future? And how could you possibly answer that question with any kind of perspective? Um, and, and I know we'll talk about this, but I, I did like a, a 180 from, from what I, where I started. Can I ask where you started? I started in, in a really defensive place. I think, um, you know, saying, I don't, I don't, I don't need a new friend. This is, this is a transaction. She's doing something that I can't physically do. Um, and I don't want to have to manage her feelings, you know, and all of that now I recognize was coming from a place where I was, where I was grieving really this loss of that experience and feeling, feeling protective of, of those feelings. I, I think you are not alone Yeah. in that experience. Yeah. No, I'm crying. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a lot of people who want to have kids and can't, and especially there's a lot of women who want to carry a baby and can't and want to carry that kids. And um, I think a, a lot of, there aren't a lot of people who talk about this process. And so, what else are you going to do except maybe to be defensive or, or kind of make sure that you protect yourself and protect your heart, you know, right. Um, going into it. Right. Cause you don't know the outcome of the pregnancy anyway. And there's just all of these components that you have no control over. Um, and so I think maybe there's this misconception that, that then as an intended parent, I could control her and what she does and what she eats or, you know, and that's not appropriate and that's not actually how it looks. That's another question that you have to kind of answer going into this relationship is how involved are you going to be and what does involvement look like? And, you know, there are people who think, you know, I want to work with a surrogate and I want to make sure she's eating organic whole grains and whatever it is, you know, yeah. and, um, and all of like not eating too many, I don't know, jelly uh, beans. Yeah. Whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and it goes back to that match and the kind of relationship you want to have. Not that I think anyone should be okay with someone telling them, give it like exactly what they should eat day to day. Right. But, um, how involved do you want to be in what kind of decisions you'll make together? that will all ultimately lead to a beautiful and healthy pregnancy. 
Yeah. And, and it isn't, it can't be one-sided and you have to give up that control that you would have for your own pregnancy and really kind of form a team yeah. with this other person. Um, so you have a match. It was great. Do you remember, um, cause her partner was there. I'm, I, yeah. Yep. Her husband. Yep. Was there yep. right? Oh, so you got to meet him. We do. You all went out to lunch. Yeah. Do you remember what you talked about? Do you remember like what oh, that gosh. was? Well, we're Minnesotans, so we talked Lots a little, of small talk. about the weather, probably. <laughs> the weather in Madison, Wisconsin. Yeah. Yeah. Probably at a brewery, right? The Panera. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, and then you start, like, this partnership. So what, kind of what happened after that match meeting? She went for her medical clearance um, and passed and we initiated the contract and we completed that. And, um, we did have a couple months of delay because of, of one lab value that came back, um, out of range, but it was really smooth sailing for us. Um, she has children of her own, which is, which is standard. And so we would, we would check in about once a week over email Neither of us loved to talk on the phone, and she at that time certainly didn't have time to talk on the phone. And she has her own kids, and right? Working at she she stayed at home. Oh, yeah. um, her youngest wasn't in school yet, but you know, we just I think from from the very beginning there was such a mutual respect of each other's time and experience, um, and certainly I had so much respect for her because she's done it. She had done it three times. Um, so she done surrogacy. No, she done pregnancy three sorry, times. Sorry, yeah, she had yeah. been pregnant three times, and so, <laughs> you know, I remember we 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 met her for the twenty week ultrasound, and she remembered she grabbed some orange juice on the way out the door, and then the baby was really moving, and and we could <laughs> we could see our daughter in there, and I was like, this is so great. I tell people that uh, our surrogate is also our doula. Yes, yeah. which is totally what that is. Yes. She was like. Oh my gosh, she guides. She guides. I mean, she is now because she's pregnant. She's guiding us like the whole way every time. Yeah, that's um, exactly it. So, I, about the twenty-week ultrasound, did you know? Did you find out if you were having a boy or girl? We found out then. And what was that like? It was incredible, and I will say that she was the only one that said, "I think it's a girl," because she had had all boys, and she was right. <laughs> yeah. And we walked into the ultrasound room and, and the ultrasound tech within five seconds of being in the room was like, well, it's a girl. <laughs> yeah. It was the most anticlimactic. Yeah. He, well, he asked if we wanted to know and yeah. it was seconds yeah. that they were into the ultrasound and he just quick announces it and I'm like, oh, okay, I suppose. Wow. Yeah, I'm not sure what I was expecting, yeah. confetti or balloons, but. And then we walked out of the appointment and she gave us um, a bag with little pink booties I was like, so you were really confident that it was a girl. And she's like, oh, no, I have the blue booties in my bag. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so cute. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And those ultrasounds, they make it like very real. Yeah. Very real. Yeah, absolutely. So your surrogate is in Minnesota. She is. So you're traveling like within Minnesota to go do these appointments and stuff. Yeah. Um, And and I think close enough then you get to, it's like not that hard to go, which is nice. And we went to, or I went to a few more the first time, um, 
with the first pregnancy. Well, you didn't have a kid. Exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So, um, you go through the, all these ultrasounds and you've got the appointments, um, in between appointments, what was it like? It was, I mean, we would, we would, I mean, you're getting like baby bump pictures and yeah, here and there. Um, you know, we both got, we downloaded the same app, the same pregnancy app. And so we were kind of tracking along and, um, and again, we would, we would email probably once a week and then we met her boys. That was important to us was that we spent time together before we were, we met them in the hospital just so that they knew who we were. Um, and honestly for us to just say thank you to them for sharing their mom with us. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, it's the first, it was the first pregnancy. So there are all these decisions that you have to coordinate with someone else completely around vaccines and screenings and things that you want to get done or things that you want to know. Um, and just little decisions that, you know, if I'm not physically there, she was, she was always keeping me up to date on them. Um, and it became very clear during that phase of the pregnancy that, you know, I'm, I was so grateful that we've found someone who has such a sense of responsibility. And I think that goes back to when we first started, you know, and, and interviewed that first agency, I never would have thought, oh yeah, you want to look for someone who has a sense of responsibility um, and accountability. That never would have occurred to me. Hmm. You wouldn't have been able to read that in an application. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 I don't think so. So, um, eventually pregnancy leads to birth. Yes. Which is like the big one. Yeah. That's the big day that you're waiting for. So can you tell me about the birth of your baby? Yeah. So our surrogate was induced. We were at the 39 week appointment the day after Thanksgiving and it just worked out where we were all in the room her partner was there and she at that point was, had gone two weeks longer than any of her other pregnancies with her children. And I think she was a little uncomfortable and, and the doctor kind of offered it up as saying, well, you're 39 weeks, we can induce. And for us, it just, for our situation, it really worked nicely to know that we could come back to the hospital tomorrow. Um, and you know, winters in Minnesota, we just to kind of remove that, that weather factor. Um, so that was a real trip too to, to drive home knowing the next time we were going to drive that road was going to be the day that our daughter was going to be born. And then it's like, what are you going to do? This is your last supper. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What did you do? I think you watched hockey yeah. and I did errands. I, I, I grabbed a six pack of beer and watched a hockey game. Oh my God. That's hysterical. Yeah. yeah we uh, crumble under pressure. Yeah, exactly. We didn't go out. Well, we, that's we, not a bad crumble. We went yeah. out to dinner yeah. too, right? We went out to dinner that night. We did we? go out to dinner. Yeah. That's right. Where'd you, where, where'd you go out to dinner? Um, cave, cave in. I don't know. Cave in. Cave in. Yeah. Okay. It's next to Pizzeria Lola. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
That one I know, pizza, you know. Yeah. But uh, okay, yeah. So yeah. you went out to a nice dinner. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. did. You did some of your favorite things. Exactly. Yeah. We indulged. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. not a way, to, bad way to spend the night. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming also you probably had like bags already packed because you were like, you know, you were expecting maybe at like 37 right. or 38 weeks you were going right. to be hopping in the car anyway. Yeah. So you're like ready to go. Yeah. In that way, we were very prepared. Yeah. So we we got on the road and like. You know, it was an hour, two hour drive and, um, and it was crazy. It's crazy to just drive up there solo and just kind of also not know what to expect even during that day. Cause again, I, I didn't realize how much I was walking into that hospital with only the knowledge of labor and delivery from TV and movies <laughs> from all that trashy TV you were watching. Yeah. <laughs> and as a woman, yeah. I'm like, gosh, I really think I should know more about this. Yeah. Um, but it, it was incredible. I, so she was, she was in the room. She was getting the drip going. Her husband showed up. We sat in that room and she had this beautiful room. They called it the Beyonce suite in this hospital because it had this panoramic view of a river and I was so taken with the fact that the lights were dim. There was no music on. She never got out of that bed. And we just chatted. And the nurse would come in and check on her and ask her if she wanted, you know, an exercise ball or some music on. And she just was so confident and knew exactly what she needed um, and decided to not have an epidural. And, And then kind of, you know, we had lunch in the cafeteria and we're just giddy and it was kind of fun to be in the hospital cafeteria probably the happiest people in the hospital cafeteria right was um, it just the two of you it was just yeah. us yeah yeah and then as as things kind of started happening in the afternoon um she she got really i think turned kind of inward and got really contemplative and and started kind of meditating in her own way and what was really incredibly neat that I did not anticipate was to watch the dynamic between her and her husband and how, you know, they were high school sweethearts and they have just been together for so long. And so he would, he would just come over and, and touch her wrist and kind of squeeze her and then kind of step off and then do that periodically. And he, through that whole process as well, his comment to us, at that first meeting was this is something that she has wanted to do. She's been waiting for a year. I wasn't going to stop her. And I just have so much respect for a man like that. Um, and she, she's, she had applied to three agencies and had been waiting for a year before she was matched with us. So there's just so much intentionality that she put into that. Um, I think what was incredible was when, when it was clear that her contractions were kind of picking up um, and the sun was setting because it was late November in Minnesota, and it was getting dark and she had closed her eyes and she, there was such, so much strength that she had, um, you know, I talk about kind of doing a 180 from where it started. I was sitting in a chair kind of off of the side of her bed and it's like this switch flipped in me and I felt like 
like she's teaching me something right now and that it's not about like my deficit but it's that my daughter gets this other really strong woman in her life and and what an honor and a privilege it will be for me to share that story with with our daughter one day to tell her about the strong grace-filled woman who brought her into this world. I mean, that's such a gift. She gets, she gets two of us. remember what it was like at our own birth and I, we, got, we were in the room with our surrogate and um, I remember feeling so much more awe than I expected to feel. Yeah. Do you remember the moment that your daughter came into the world and like the emotion of that or what you were feeling? Oh, I was so worried that I was gonna drop her, <laughs> and then and she didn't she didn't make a lot of noise. And then I remember asking a nurse like, should she be crying? Um, but I I would say that the hospital that we were at was so attentive to our situation and so um, so accommodating. So when it came time for our surrogate to push the the doctor said, pointed to me and said, come around here, stand down here. So I was down by her feet and, and Eric was up kind of by her shoulder a little further off. And the doctor said, let's get a, a blanket for mom. And one of the nurses grabbed a blanket and put it on our surrogate's belly. And the doctor very quickly said the other mom. And, and so she, she took that blanket and gave it to me. Um, so there was just such a an environment of of this feeling of like we're safe, we're a team, um, and really that that wouldn't have mattered to me at that point. But um, it was nice, and yeah, she came out, and of course I was crying. I think I saw Eric. You were crying, and again, what was really just incredible was I I caught a glimpse of our surrogate's husband. He was in the room and. He is just the most even-keeled, down-to-earth guy. And I and he was kind of teary. And it just made me so happy for him because I, I can only imagine that that's just such pride in his wife and her generosity. And the baby got cleaned off, and I was holding her, and we were doing skin-to-skin, and... um. And we were all going to leave the the delivery room, and our carrier, our surrogate, was in the wheelchair being wheeled out. And I asked her, "Do you want to hold her?" So she held her, and she looked at at the baby, and then just very calmly said, "Okay, time to go back to mom." And I think that was the first time since she had been born that anybody called me mom. And it's just so fitting that 
that she did that. So I, th I think about your use of team, and that's exactly what it is. It's not her, us, them, us, it's we are the team. That's a gift that you gave your daughter and that your surrogate gave your daughter and, and that you guys did together. Which is really beautiful. Oh <laughs> <laughs> um, no! I, I was gonna follow that up question up with, "Do you remember uh, the first time someone called you dad, Eric?" Because mm. <laughs> that's a good one. I don't know yeah. if you can top that one, There's but no I'm like, curi I'm curious yeah. if you even remember uh, the first time someone called you dad. I don't. Um... Do you remember the first time you felt like? Like your baby is here and like you, I'm a dad. Oh, I'm a dad now. This is. Yeah. This is you know, I don't know that I'd given it a lot of thought ahead of time, but I, when you asked the question about what it was like, the, the very clear memory that I have is that there's just like this immediate sense of responsibility needing to protect, you know, to Annie's point around, you know, being worried about whether the baby, you know, whether you're going to drop the baby and they're, they take her over to the sink and she gets her first bath and it all get, you know, everything is, I just immediately felt like this need to kind of hover and be there to make sure everything was okay. Um, and I didn't know that that would be the feeling, you know? Um, I also can relate to what you were talking about too, which is just that, and this has just been, you know, for as long as now she's been around when you especially kind of watch all of your friends have kids and kind of go through a good part of your, you know, the first few years of your adulthood without having children or even without being married, everything starts to sound like a cliche, you know, and, and it starts to just go in one ear and out the other. And, you know, the eye rolls, eye rolls follow. Um, but now I'm kind of going back to all those cliches and it's, it's all pretty true, you know, pretty spot on. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of it's even better than, you know, people's really kind of, you know, simple and cheap words that they use to describe yeah. some of what's good about being a parent. Um, so that's just been really great. Right. So I've, I wish I had a list of those cliches cause it might be a nice way to kind of know what's coming, but, but there's just been a lot of really pleasant surprises. It's been really great. Yeah. And that like parenthood like totally delivers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it does. <laughs> totally yeah. delivers. It pays back for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you remember what it was like uh, when you finally got to leave the hospital? Yes. <laughs> I remember, so part of my preparation for when our daughter was born was just kind of buying things because I was trying to, trying to just do some activities that made it feel like I was preparing and um, get some ceremony around it. And so I bought her this bunting suit so I brought it to the hospital and we put her in it and then it comes time to put her in the car seat and this nurse walks in and she's like, no, 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 you can't put a baby in a coat into a car seat. And it just was this really humbling moment of like, what am I doing? Like we are just all <laughs> newbies, you know, like I think it, 
I think the reality is like, and our carrier would say this is that, um, you know, I'm going to do this for you for nine months, 12, call it 12 months. Um, and then you get to have this baby for the rest of your life. And really that's, you know, our experience was no different from the moment she was born. Yeah. Um, we were just new parents who had no idea how to change that first diaper and had no idea that you, you can't put a baby in like a coat into a, a car seat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We didn't know that either. Yeah. yeah. We totally didn't. And you got to know that in Minnesota. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, Oh, but it's going to look so great. Uh-huh. Um, oh, I'll, I'll show you pictures of uh, the outfit that, that we dressed her in leaving the hospital. It is absurd. It's absurd. Um, but you don't know. You don't right. know. Right. Um, okay. So fast forward. Um, how old's your daughter now? She's, oh, oh my gosh. Okay. So I told someone that she was 25 months this morning. And then Eric's like, that's bad math. <laughs> 27. She's 27. 20, she's yeah. 27 months. Um, when did you decide that you're going to do this again? We sent our carrier, our surrogate, an email when our daughter was six months old. And I think it really took me until she was three months old to ever even think that we could possibly have another child, regardless of how that was going to happen. Mm. Um, we were just so in it and so overwhelmed. Um, but we sent we send an email and we labored over every word in that email. And, and I sent it to her and she was, she was traveling with her family and had kind of said in the email, like, just think on it and let us know. Um, and we, we got a response back from her and she said, yeah, I'd, I'd like to. And, um, and then we agreed to just sit with that and then pick it up in a year from then. Wow. When did you finally make the decision like, okay, it's time. Let's do this. Personality wise, we are both people that like do what we say we're going to do and don't say, you know, we follow through. Um, yeah, she had a trip and so she had, I think she had suggested that after that trip would be good timing and that there wasn't any kind of firm commitment at that point. But I think, so we just, in the lead up to that trip, I think that was what prompted the email follow up. And it, it was just kind of a way we went. It, and this time you said it's like been like different in that it's just really smooth. Yeah. And time is flying by. Yeah. yeah. Cause you're uh, about to have another baby in weeks away. Yeah. yeah. Weeks away. Yeah. Yeah. Are you uh, <laughs> buying stuff again? Trying to get, no, I'm trying not to buy things <laughs> because now I realize how little, how few things you need. Yeah. That's totally right. Yeah. Yeah. And and then of course you have the box. Do you, can I ask, do you, are you having a boy or a girl? Having a boy. That's just like us. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. How cool. It's going to be great. Yeah. Um, do you kind of look at the next delivery differently than you did before? Are you anticipating it in the same way? Do you think? It's a great question. I, I think I'm going into it a little bit differently in that I am expecting to, to feel that kind of sense of awe and just, I just hope that I can be there and just be present and, 
and, and experience it fully. I think, you know, a lot of my friends who have given birth, their comment to me was how lucky you are to, to experience it without any medication and really from kind of mm. that outsider's perspective. Um, they're not using outsider and kind of a But being able to see it yeah, and not think about how you physically feel yeah. and be able to experience it without the physicality so that you can have some of those moments you might not otherwise have. Exactly. Um, I have a couple of other questions. The way that you felt about your kidney transplant and the kidney disease and what it meant for your ability to carry a baby. Has that changed now that you have kids and you have gone through surrogacy? Do you think of, do you think of that differently or, um, I don't, I don't know exactly the question I want to ask. It's just that how have you maybe grown since then in the way that you even think about, all of these things that have come on in your life that have led you to this moment. Yeah. I certainly don't think of it as a loss. Um, I really, really grieved it at the time, but I think I have this perspective that, you know, my body did everything that I asked it to when my kidneys were failing and when I was recovering from a transplant and it's, I mean, my body has accepted an organ that was not, that I wasn't born with. I mean, that's incredible. I'm really grateful for what my body is, has allowed me to do and to recover and to heal. And so it doesn't, it doesn't sting as much as it did three or four years ago. You know, I, I have this awareness that this kidney, this donor kidney will not last me for the rest of my life. And that will mean another transplant that might mean dialysis. And it is scary to have the awareness that, you know, what does that look like to be on dialysis with now two children? Um, and that can be, that can be a tough thought, but I think at the same time, you know, kind of what what we've shared is, you know, what is life if, if it's not something that you share with, with the people that you love? You know, one of the things that our carrier said when we first met her in that meeting in Madison was, she was talking about the reason why she decided to be a surrogate. And she said that she and her family kind of live, can, can seem to live like this small life and that, um, and that she wanted to teach her boys and show her boys that that they can serve other people outside of their small world. Um, and I just think that's incredible. Hope Works is a podcast created by Hope Surrogacy. We are so excited that you're joining us for season two. Make sure that you subscribe at hopesurrogacy.com slash podcast or on iTunes so you don't miss a minute of these incredible conversations. 
Thank you to the entire community of surrogates, parents, and supporters who make this work so amazing. And a special thank you to Annie and Eric. Your bravery, courage, and your love for your family are a gift, and I'm so grateful that you shared your story with us. We'd also love to give a big thank you to Seed Trust, who helped us bring you this episode. Seed Trust provides dependable escrow services for surrogates, intended parents, and egg donors. During your surrogacy journey, you've got to have a solid plan for your finances. Believe me, as a parent who's had two babies now through surrogacy, I know. At Seed Trust, you'll find quality managers you can count on and a secure online platform that's accessible, transparent, and reliable. SeedTrustEscrow.com. On time, online, worry-free. That's SeedTrustEscrow.com. And finally, if you're listening and you're interested in finding out more about becoming a surrogate, come chat with us at HopeSurrogacy.com. You can find stories on the blog, leave us a message on our contact page, or come say hello on Instagram and Facebook. Just search at Hope Surrogacy. Thank you for listening to Hope Works. On behalf of all of us at Hope, Mary, Leanne, Amy, and myself, we can't wait to hear from you and to talk about how Hope works. <laughs>